Well, welcome this morning, and um, obviously we've come to that time of the service where uh, I will come and minister from God's Word, and I do want to just, obviously there's a number of visitors with us this morning, and um, for obviously for such a special event, Pastor Werner, 80 years old, um, but um, we'll focus on that a little bit later, but um, we want to consider God's Word, so we're going to turn to the Gospel of John chapter 6, Gospel of John chapter 6. Now, just to give you a bit of an overview, because I am in the midst of a, a series this morning, and uh, this is part four, and the title of the series is called Christ Manifested, Christ Manifested, and I shared, I've shared, but I'll say it again, many, many years ago, I found a little book by a man named John Fletcher, and it was called Christ Manifested, and it was a profound booklet as, in, as, as profound as it was when it was written in the 18th century, even today, because the truth of it rings true, that Christ will manifest himself to his people. And uh, as he says, uh, that there is uh, at some point to every sincere follower, and not that word, sincere, every sincere follower of Jesus Christ Sooner or later, Christ will manifest himself in such a profound and real way that you cannot deny him. And so it's out of that that we've looked at this series, Christ Manifested. And what we've been looking at and the emphasis of that how Christ does manifest is, uh, is, is through what we call the spiritual senses. So we're talking about experiencing God. And when we consider the natural senses that connect us to the world around us and that enable us to experience life as we know it today, so too the reality, spiritually speaking, is real in which we experience God through the spiritual senses. And when we say that, we're not just illustrating it, although that is the case, but as we've seen so far throughout the scriptures, the Bible addresses every spiritual sense. And we've looked at a couple of those. Uh, so far, we've looked at spiritual sight, seeing God, and, uh, and having our eyes enlightened, our spiritual eyes to see. I was once blind, but now I see. It's not physical, but spiritual. And then we looked at hearing last week and, uh, the, uh, uh, and the context of that, and hearing God's voice. Because we can, not audibly, and again, not in the physical sense, but spiritually speaking, to hear from God. How shall they hear without a preacher? I'm just here this morning preaching, but I pray as I speak, you would hear from God this morning. And you'll have to tolerate my voice in the meantime. But you see, we're going to consider lastly, or not lastly, today I mean, uh, the, the sense, the spiritual sense of taste, to taste. Again, you'll, you'll be surprised just how much the scripture addresses this. And so there's uh, a bit that I want to consider with you. But we have a spiritual faculty given to us by God that enables us to taste spiritual things, to taste of God himself. And again, just to, again, I just, I'm reiterating this, but just to lay this foundation, as we've looked at each spiritual sense, we have considered it in two contexts. 
Remember, it's been in relation to salvation when our eyes are first open, when we first hear the voice of the Son of God. And in this instance, when we first taste of the Lord. So we're looking at it in the context of salvation and redemption, and also we're looking at it in the context of our relationship and our walk with Christ Jesus. Because these two truths, they have a profound application to both aspects. And the, the scripture addresses it, and this is why I'm considering it in this context this morning. Tasting Christ for the first time is a glorious thing. But as a Christian, you must acquire a taste for Christ as well to continue to feed from him and of him. Now, taste is a unique sense that God has given us this morning. When you think of the five senses and the sense of taste, taste is unique. Because it's, taste is something that is associated with the mouth in the physical sense. And so when we talk about tasting, we, we, we get to experience and distinguish flavour through our God-given ability to taste. I guess that's why people love food <laughs> and drink and various things, because we all have acquired tastes in terms of what we like and don't like. The, the, the mouth and taste is our God, as we have taste buds, which give us the ability to distinguish that which is sweet. We can determine and distinguish from that which is bitter. You can have something that's salty and it's like, ugh, that's salty. And so, or there's something that's sour, you put that in the mouth and, uh, you know, again, these things in balance, I guess they're good, but when they're in their extreme, sometimes they can have quite a reaction to our taste. But the different sensations that, that are gathered from it. And so we understand that in the natural sense, but there's a spiritual dynamic. I mean, we even use it as a figure of speech sometimes. You know, have you ever heard someone talk about a bad experience in their life and they say, I left a bad taste in my mouth? They're not talking about literally, they're just using a, a, a metaphor to express how an experience that they had in life has left a bad taste in their mouth, meaning that it has touched their soul in a negative way. So men can relate to it in that context, but the scripture talks about it in a different context because we're talking about, about taste, not in the negative, but in the positive in that which relates to God himself, amen, to that which we will see in the scriptures is so wonderful and so glorious. To taste of Christ. You know, this is probably uh, maybe not the best expression, but I'll use it because the Bible uses it. But Jesus is like a fine wine. He's like the scripture refers to in the Song of Solomon. In fact, it says he's better than wine. The Song of Solomon, uh, in, uh, it says, Your love is better than wine. And the world loves its wine and its distinguished wines and tastes and, you know, and all that's associated with wine and tasting. You know, that's the, the penneth, uh, zenith of the world, so to speak. But, uh, but, but the Bible says that your love is better than wine. Because t tasting of God, experiencing God, is the sweetest thing, as we will see. 
And so as I have done in each aspect of this series, as we've considered this sense, we've started with the words of Christ, and then we've looked and broadened it to the whole of Scripture. And then we're going to do the same thing this morning. So let's read from the Gospel of John, chapter 6. We'll start from verse 47. Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread. Which came down from heaven, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, and they said, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Doesn't this sound weird? <laughs> Let's continue, verse 57. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said to the synagogue, or in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Verse 60. Then many... Listen, then many of these disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh Prophets, nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Amen. Now, this is a profound portion of scripture that we've just read. No doubt, as you read it, you see why they were offended at what Jesus was saying. I mean, they're listening to Jesus talk and he's speaking and unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you don't have any part in me. And so they are hearing his words, but they are not interpreting them as he, as he intends and he knows that. And they are offended. The Bible says many of his disciples, they walked with him no more. Now think about it. Is Jesus teaching cannibalism here? I mean, you know, that you have to actually literally eat my flesh and drink my blood. That is not what he's saying at all. 
He says, I am the bread of life, and I am he who came down from heaven. He's talking to them about and comparing himself to the manna which they understood because the Israelites coming out of Egypt where God fed them with manna from heaven, which was physical food. Now he's using the illustration of manna and physical food to say, well, listen, I am the bread of life. I came from heaven. And so if you eat of me, eat of my flesh and my blood, he says, you shall have everlasting life. And now, again, they're interpreting it of physical eating. But Jesus makes it clear that this is not what he means, nor is it what he's talking about. So they were offended. Even his disciples complained. And he goes on and, and he says, does this offend you? But in verse 63, he gives us the lesson that he is teaching the disciples and that he's proclaiming to the world and to you and I. And he says this, it's not about, he says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. It's not about the flesh and eating his flesh and drinking his blood in the literal sense. He says the words, listen, the words that I speak, they are spirit and they are life. And so the words that came from God. And this is what he is talking about, is hearing his words. It's partaking, it's eating of his words. The words that I speak. Eat my words. What does the Bible say? Men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Again, in the spiritual sense, we're talking about taste. And so the question to us this morning is, is that have you tasted, have you eaten of the words of Jesus Christ? Not, not talking about his body or his flesh or drinking his blood. I'm talking about have you tasted the words of Christ? Have you tasted of Christ himself? Because there is to, be, to believe it is become a partaker of everlasting life. That's what Jesus said. We all know one of the most famous scriptures is in Psalm 34 verse 8 where the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And so the psalmist is reflecting upon this very aspect that we're considering this morning in that we are told to taste. I remember the first time that I heard the words of the Bible. I remember the first time that I received the words from the mouth of Jesus. I remember the first time I believed in the words of Jesus. And I tasted of the Lord, and I tell you, that taste was glorious. Do you remember it? Taste and see that God is good. When you taste of God for the first time, there is, he, he is something like you've never, ever tasted before. Never ever experienced before. The, the sensation uh, on your taste buds, so to speak, is unique and dynamic and a reality that only comes from Christ himself. And we have experienced the glorious gospel, the glorious grace, the glorious love, the glorious power and reality of Jesus Christ. Have you tasted of God this morning? See, the context is tasting for the first time. 
You see, I remember before I came to Christ, I tasted all that the world had to offer. The world offered this and offered that and uh, to, to satisfy my soul, and I, I tasted. But it left me high and it left me dry. And everything that the world has to offer tastes like garbage compared to Christ. Garbage. I could use different words, but I won't. But I want us to get that picture this morning because there's nothing that this world has to offer that tastes like Christ. The, the, how, how, how wonderful and how sweet he is, the sensation that he gives. In Psalm 119, verse 103, the Bible says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. See, the psalmist is reflecting upon this same truth that we're discovering and identifying this morning, and he uses this analogy, How sweet are your words to my taste. You see, you don't find the word bitter associated with, with the words of Christ. But rather you find the sweetness. How sweet are your words to my taste. And they are sweeter than honey to my mouth. Now, I'm sure there's a few people here that have a sweet tooth, right? <laughs> Some may be sweeter than others. But nevertheless, when we talk about the word of God this morning, we're talking about tasting the sweetness of the words of Christ. His words are sweet. Sweeter than honey, the sweetest thing on that you could ever experience and taste. Never bitter, never bitter. Life is filled with bitter experiences, but not Jesus. He's always sweet. Amen? And it doesn't matter what we have to endure in life. And there will be, even before we came to Christ, there was the, the bitterness of life. And even in, as a Christian, we can have a taste of these things because of the experiences of life. But you come to Christ, you come to his word, and it's always sweet. Sweeter than honey. Oh, thank God for that sweetness. Amen. Otherwise, we'd all be bent and twisted. Now, the Song of Solomon is an interesting book in the Old Testament in the Bible. Various reasons. But you see, literally speaking, it's a song about uh, King Solomon and the, the love, his love, the Shulamite woman, and the, the, the love that they have for one another. And it's written as a love song between a woman and the king. And as much as it reflects a literal relationship of that time, the truth that it contains is, has, again, it's, it's symbolic. It has a spiritual component to it. And it relates to, uh, and, and not only is it expressed in the ultimate sense of, of marriage and the ultimate sense of love uh, that one has for another, but it also represents Christ, or in his, actually in the Old Testament it represents God and the nation of Israel, but also it goes further in its application in that it speaks spiritually to us as Christ and the church. 
whom we are married to Christ. And, exp- and so when you read the book of Song of Solomon and you see the metaphors and you see the sweetness and the expression and the love and the depths, all of these things reflective of our own intimacy and relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we noted before where it says his love she says, the Shulamite woman says his love is better than wine. But that's speaking of Christ. His love is better than wine, the love of Jesus. But in the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 3, she says, his fruit was sweet to my taste. His fruit was sweet to my taste. And in other words, when we talk about taste and we talk about Christ and we talk about the fruit that comes uh, from Christ and the life, the everlasting life, the eternal life, the life of God that we become partakers of, that we become the temple of the Holy Spirit, Christ in us. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing. You name it, we can go on and on. But his fruit is sweet to my taste. Always. I remember, I still remember, when I first became a Christian. I don't have that Bible with me because if I bought it, it would fall apart. But my first Bible, and how sweet. I first got into, I tasted of the goodness of God. And I remember I just could not put this book down. And I read it, and I read it, and I read it. And my first Bible's not even, I can't even turn the pages because they fall out. But my point is, is that they were so sweet because I'd experienced the bitterness of life and, and at a young, tender age, uh, uh, pay, uh, uh, partaking of those things and then experiencing the reality and tasting of God, I couldn't get enough. It was so sweet. It was give me more. That's how it was. It was a hunger and a thirst. But my taste buds had been awakened to these, this glorious reality. You see, once you have tasted, it's impossible to forget. Can you say amen? Amen. It's impossible to forget once you've tasted of divine things. But let me say this this morning as we move on a little bit further. It's not impossible to reject. What I mean by that is I want to go now a little bit further. We've kind of looked at the dynamic of salvation, but now I want to move forward in our relationship with God as a Christian. Because you have to acquire a taste. You have to continue to feed. You have to continue to go on in these things. And I'll show you this, and we'll see it here in the Scripture. So turn, if you can, to Hebrews chapter 6. And so my intent here is not to go and do an exposition on this portion of text, because that could that would divert us away from what I'm wanting to highlight and the point that I want to make. But let's just consider what it says in verse 4. For it says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted, there it is again, verse 5, the good word of God and the powers of the age to come if they fall away to renew them again to repentance. For since they crucify again themselves, the Son of God, and put him to an open shame. Now the point here is obviously we're considering taste. 
And so you, the, the, we're getting the idea here. It's, as I said, you'll never forget, but you can reject. And this is where Paul is writing to, these, uh, to the Hebrews here, and he's pleading with them as they're considering walking away because of the uh, persecution and the, the reproach of Christ. And uh, he says, the, uh, um, and he uses the word taste, that they have tasted the heavenly gift. Now this is not, again, you know, this is a whole lot of theological jargon that revolves around this, but they had tasted the heavenly gift. That word tasted in the Hebrew is quite interesting because it means to experience. It means to, to taste, to eat, to experience, not just like, you know, a little taste. No, it, was, it means much more than that in its Hebrew meaning. They, they had tasted. They tasted the heavenly gift. They had tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. It says that they were enlightened. You know that word we, we were looking at seeing God. Remember when we looked at when we used the word the Greek word phytizo? <laughs> Did I get that right? Close. But meaning photo, but meaning to enlighten. So they were enlightened. They had seen God. They had heard the voice. They had become partakers, which means they had become participants in uh, in in Christ, and they had tasted but yet they were considering on turning their back on Christ because they didn't want to bear reproach. You see, you can, you, you, they've tasted, you'll never forget, but you can reject. And that's the point that's being made that I just want to highlight in this instance here. You see, it says... Uh, well, let me say this this morning. We, we never stop... You know, physically speaking, we never stop eating until we die. You know, when we talk about life, each of us, we, we, one of the, you know, if we, man, when you've ever fasted, isn't it amazing how much time eating takes up in your, in your day, in your life? But we nev we'll never stop eating because it's the source of life until the day in which we die and put off this body. From the moment we're born to the time that we die, we will never stop eating eating. Now, the nature of that is different, isn't it? Because uh, uh, we know newborn babies, they just don't, you know, they don't acquire a taste for some of the, you know, greater aspects of life because all they drink is the, uh, you know, breast milk, mother's milk. But you see, the Bible uses that analogy too, doesn't it? Because Paul, oh sorry, Peter writes and he says, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of God's word that you may grow thereby. And so even as a baby in Christ, when a person is born again and they have uh, tasted of God, the Bible says, you know what, just like a newborn babe, just desire the pure milk of God's word because that will satisfy your taste buds. There's, no, there's no, nothing better, amen, than, than a mother's milk. And there's nothing better in, uh, when you first become a Christian and has tasted of God that you partake of the milk of God's word that you may grow. But the question is to you this morning, can, can a human survive just on milk their whole life? No. Because uh, you've got to develop and uh, obviously uh, through the process of growth and development, you begin uh, as in a, a, a child's life, the mother introduces various foods and solid food and they acquire various tastes and flavours. 
And so too, the time comes when uh, the maturity of, a, of an individual develops and they begin to partake now of solid food, as the Bible would refer to it. And so when Paul wrote to the Hebrews, he was admonishing them for their spiritual immaturity. They had tasted, because we just read it. But he then says to them that they have become dull of hearing. There you go, there's one of their spiritual senses that's not functioning. They've become dull of hearing, and as a result of that, they are not growing. And therefore, uh, uh, they remain in a state of spiritual immaturity. And he says to them, this, this is not good, because they need to learn to feed on solid food, because solid food belongs to those that are mature of age. So, again, we're talking about acquiring that taste. We're talking about partaking of Christ. We're talking about feeding on his word. You know, experienced wine tasters this morning, they talk about the satisfaction of mature aged wine. It's a bit, I, I, I use it as an example because it does capture what I'm trying to say this morning. People who live their lives for that satisfaction, they, 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 you know, they, 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 they tickles all their fancies and they love it. That's what people who acquire those things, because they like to tickle their taste buds with various flavours, various foods, various wines. That's why the Bible says in the days of Noah they were eating and drinking because they had acquired all of those finer things. But you know what? They forgot the most important that is Christ. And so, God's love, God's power, God's grace, God's presence are all so much more. And so, we have to taste and eat of God's word this morning. And so, I would say to the Christian, have we acquired a taste for the more delicate aspects of God's word? Have you? Have you acquired a taste? You've got to the point, you know what, I want to go deeper. I want, I want to taste more. I've tasted God's good, but that's just, that's just tasting. Now, this book is, a, is, 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 is life. The words that I speak to you, they are life. Feed off my words. Taste and see that God is good. And as you read the word and as you go deeper, you acquire a greater hunger and a greater thirst and a greater taste and acquiring a taste and you distinguish the tastes of God's word. This is spiritual maturity. This is going on to perfection. And it's being a follower of Jesus and heeding his words. And he satisfies the soul like none other. His fruit is sweet to my mouth, sweeter than honey. So we're looking at this spiritual sense of taste this morning, and I want to consider it now in another context. If you can turn your Bibles to Psalm 81. Psalm 81. Now bear with me here because this captures the things that we're considering in our relationship to God. In Psalm 81, the psalmist is actually reflecting upon the children of Israel and uh, he's talking about, in fact, we have some uh, revelation and understanding into God's thoughts. But in Psalm 81, verse 8, God is appealing or here for Israel's repentance because they have 
acquired other tastes. Now listen carefully to what is being said here. Verse 8. Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you, O Israel, if you will listen to me. There shall be no foreign god among you, nor shall you worship any foreign god. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now look, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Open your mouth wide. But look at verse 11. But my people would not heed my voice and Israel would have none of me. So I gave them over to their own stubborn heart to walk in their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord would pretend submission to him, but the, their fate would endure forever. Verse 16, he would, now listen, he would have fed them also with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock. I would have satisfied you. Now think about that for a moment, what's being said here. They, 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 he says, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Because you know what? The children of Israel had gotten to a point where like a little stubborn child, they wouldn't open their mouth to, to feed. God says, if you open your mouth, he says, I will fill it. And, uh, and, and, and he says in verse 16, he says, I would have fed them also with the finest of wheat. The finest of wheat. This is the diet that God has for you and I as his children this morning. He has fine, the finest of wheat. He's not going to give us the scraps. He's not going to give us second best. When God cooks up a meal, he gives you the best. Amen? He's the best chef going around. And when he cooks up a meal from his word and he's going to speak into our lives or reveal something to us from his scripture, I tell you, it will be it will, the finest of wheat that God will provide. Now, the, that word finest means to be fat, the richest or choice part. Oh, that's, the, that's what we want from God. Can you say amen? Lord, feed me. <laughs> but this is what the scripture is teaching us. And it says honey from the rock. Not water from the rock, because that's how we understand it many times in other scriptures, water from the rock. But now we're talking honey from the rock. That rock is Christ. And not only does it satisfy us with water for sustenance of life, but he gives us the sweetness of life. Honey from the rock. And God says uh, he would have given Israel the finest of wheat and honey from the rock. But you know what? He couldn't. And he didn't. But he would have if they would just open their mouth, if they would just acquire a taste, if they would just say, feed me, Lord. God says, I'll feed you with the finest of wheat. That's, what, that's the diet that we want as Christians. Can you say amen? amen? You see, too many Christians are suffering from starvation. Or they're feeding off things that, uh, uh, um, that they shouldn't. Or still on, they're on milk. And it's like, wait a minute. Yeah, have you tasted the solid food of God's word? Now, obviously, it's progression. Maybe you're drinking milk at the moment. That's fine. God, praise God. Enjoy it. That's what I say. Because as you grow, you'll grow into the finer aspects. But here we see what the scripture is telling us. 
God would say to some Christians, I would have. I would have, but I couldn't. I would have, but I didn't. Why? Is it God's fault? It's us. And so, the sad thing is, is that we acquire tastes that we shouldn't sometimes. And we satisfy ourselves on things of this world when we shouldn't, because we should be fully satisfied. It says in verse 16, I would have given you honey from the rock. I would have satisfied you. You know, when you grow to the point where nothing else matters but Christ, then, then God bless you this morning. Because this world has nothing. As you go, and I understand, I've been a young Christian, I'm getting older now, and the older I get, you know what? The sweeter Jesus is. And he's all I need. Even if I lost everything, I would still just have Jesus, and that's okay. Because that's all, I'd be satisfied. I'd be fully satisfied. Because I've got Christ. And that's, 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 where, that's how the Christian should grow. True? And the older we get, uh, the more we partake and the more that we taste, that's the more content we are and satisfied. I don't care, I don't need anything else. I've got Jesus. No one satisfies like Jesus. I pray this is whetting your appetite this morning. No, you're all waiting to get into the next room to feed on food. No, we're here this morning to feed on God's word. Amen? Okay. <laughs> Okay, one last thought that I want to uh, close with as we consider the spiritual sense of taste and the sweetness of God. And I was just thinking about this. But, you know, Israel, we, come, we, we have uh, communion and we reflect upon the Passover and uh, the Lamb of God that was slain for the sins of the world. But, you know, when Israel would partake of the, the Passover feast, they would, uh, as part of the, the, that uh, process, they would eat bitter herbs. And the reason the why is that, that, that God had ordained it that way is that as they reflected upon the time in their history where God brought them as a people out of the land of Egypt and out of the hand of, of slavery of Pharaoh and he brought them into the promised land through the wilderness, he wanted, and he blessed them, he fed them with the fullness the finest. He brought them into the promised land, a land that flowed with milk and honey. That's the Christian life. But you see, he never wanted them for, to forget the bitterness of Egypt. And they would have to eat those herbs and that bitterness of taste was to remind them of the bitterness of Egypt. And so too, when we reflect upon uh, uh, Christ and his sacrifice and his salvation and all that we, the sweetness of God that we have partaken of, we are never to forget the, where we came from and the bitterness of life. Because I can tell you, I know where I came from. I know the bitterness of my life and you know the bitterness of your life. And when you think about those things, when you reflect upon before you tasted Christ for the first time, Oh, it's bitter. But then you think of Christ and it's sweet. And so we never forget these things. And the reason why we are not to forget, because, do you know, one of the saddest things is, is that Israel, they grew weary of the manna that God gave them from heaven. You know, God brought them through the wilderness. And the whole reason why is God says, I'm going to lead you through this wilderness period because I want you to learn some lessons. One, I want to humble you. 
And two, I want to teach you that men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And he gave them, uh, he gave them uh, what the Bible refers to as manna. Every morning they would wake up and there was less dew. It would settle on the ground and then they were, it would harden up to some degree and they would break it off and they would eat. God was giving them supernatural provision. Now, the Bible says that the, uh, in the book of Exodus... In fact, let me read in Psalm 78. You don't have to go there, but Psalm 78 says, He rained down manna on them to eat, and he gave them bread of heaven. Men ate angels' food. He sent them food to the full. God gave them everything that they needed in the manna. In fact, the Bible says in Exodus 16, verse 31, that the manna was like coriander seed, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Could you picture what the uh, manna tastes like that God was giving them to sustain them? And you know what? The time came in the wilderness. You know what they said? They said, oh, we're sick of this manna. They'd lost the taste and the sweetness and the, the, of God. And so they said, you know what? Oh, that we could go back to Egypt. And they began to think about eating the leeks and the onions. Lovely swapping the wafers and the honey, and you want to go back to the leeks and the onions? Like, are you crazy? But that's what happens to us. And so they want in their hearts, they went back to Egypt, and they, they, they had a taste for, for the old. And the God wasn't satisfying them any longer. And that's what happened to Israel, and that's what can happen to us if we are not careful. See, God's word is to satisfy us this morning. I know this sounds delusional, but it happens. In the New Testament, it's even worse, the picture. Peter talks about, in 2 Peter, let me turn there, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. Some of you know what, <laughs> where I'm going here. And I must say beforehand, it's not going to be nice. But let's let the scripture speak. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, it talks about those that have turned their back on Christ. And it says these words, chapter 2, verse 24, If after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ... They are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit. And a sow having washed to a wallowing in the mire. Could you imagine the sweet, exchanging God for your vomit? Say, so, Pastor Gary, please. Oh, that's the proverb. As a dog returns to its vomit. Can you picture that? Licking and eating vomit. You go, oh, come on, just, okay, don't go there. But the scripture's going there. 
Because God wants, you know, that's the reaction that God wants. It's like, ugh. That's how we should spiritually be responding to these things. Like, how crazy is that? And yet, Christians spiritually do it all the time. And so we, we must be mindful of these things because we want the sweetness of God's word this morning. You know, one last thought that I can close. You know, the, there's a lot that's going on in the church today, in the Christendom at large. You know, the world is, there's this word now that we use, maybe familiar to some, maybe not to others. It's called the world going woke. Woke. <laughs> okay, some of the older ones look at me like, whoa. It's all right, you've got to be in touch with the younger generation. The world is going woke, okay? It's progressive, it's changing, and, uh, and, you know, they think it's a good thing. But you see, the sad thing is, is that the church is going woke. We were in a meeting just recently, the three elders with an individual, and this pastor asked us a question, and he said, he said, What's your, what's your position on, on, the ch- on the church going woke? And I said, this church will not go woke. We will not peddle the word of God. We will not dilute the word of God. We will speak the word of God. We're not going to change the language to lessen the offence. We're not going to come across as user-friendly to make you not feel uncomfortable. But we're going to preach the word of God as it is. Because we are not going woke, we will rather go broke, amen? Because we're going to stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And whatever the cost, whatever the reproach, but we're not going to compromise the word of God to cater to the tastes of the world or to the tastes of the church. I don't like this church. They're too strong on their stand. Well, good. That's what we need so that you can distinguish between the flavors. Isaiah, when he looked at Israel and, he, and uh, through God through the prophet, Isaiah speaks in Isaiah 5 verse 20 and he says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. God, this is Israel. That's what Israel had done. That's what the church is doing. It's replacing the sweetness of God for the bitterness of the world. And when you get exposed to it, you know what it does to you? It's like, because that's not how it should be. Because we want the truth. We We want the words of Jesus. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. The flesh profits nothing. And you know what? Returning to our text as I conclude, the Bible says that many of his disciples walked with him no more. And Jesus said to the twelve, didn't I choose you, the twelve? See, Jesus has a way of sifting through the true and the false. And so they were offended and they, they said, this is a hard saying, I'm not, eating his, I'm not eating his flesh and drinking his blood because they interpreted it carnally because they were carnal. They couldn't see the greater spiritual reality. So Jesus says to his disciples, are you offended? Do you want to go away as well? And the disciples says, and Peter says, where where shall we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. Oh, yes, praise God, the words. 
And that's the taste that we must acquire, the Word of God. Let's pray this morning. Oh, God, we just thank you for your Word this morning. My God, I pray that you've spoken. Lord, there may be those this morning that have not tasted of God. I pray, Lord, that they would believe, that they would call upon you for salvation. Maybe, God, there are those, God, that have, have, have uh, tasted, but they've rejected. They've turned their back. Lord, I pray they would come to repentance, Lord, that you would restore them and renew them. Oh, God, I pray that you would, Lord, just take this word this morning and seal it to our hearts. And God, I pray that we would acquire a taste, that we would open our mouth, Lord, and that you'd fill it with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock, Lord, and that you would satisfy us because your fruit is sweet to our taste. Blessed be your name. Amen.